This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, April the 11th, 2022. Fishy Rishi has been a bad MP and a worse Chancellor. We'd be better off without. After a week of tax and residency scandal, Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak is, we are told, fighting to save his career. Well, of course he is. We'd all need to work a bit harder to look employable if we didn't know what country we lived in. The real question is which job exactly he's fighting to keep. Is it the £81,932 a year role he has representing 65,000 constituents of Richmond, North Yorkshire? Is it his appointment as Chancellor with the ability to set tax rates for millions of little people? His previous profession as a hedge fund manager? Or his position as son-in-law to a man who set up a multi-billion dollar global business? If we're to judge the likelihood of his main career as the taxman would, according to which role provides him with the biggest financial returns, it'll be his marriage that Rishi works hardest to save. Judging from the £11.6 million she got in dividend from her billionaire father's business last year, it would provide an MP's salary in under three days, a cabinet minister's stipend in another two, and would make him a millionaire by marriage, all over again, once every 32 days. But that's if we assume Rishi is motivated purely by money. As he said when defending his wife's tax status, he loves his country. He may merely want to make Richmond a better place to live and work. Politics might not pay well, but it can be a vocation. Hansard records him speaking in Parliament about his own constituency just six times in the three years he was now but a local MP. In 2018, he was made a junior minister and mentioned Richmond three times more. He then joined the Treasury in 2019 and was made Chancellor just seven months later, and Hansard records that he hasn't once mentioned the place he represents since. The closer he's got to power, the less he has mentioned the people who elected him. So, perhaps it's his role as Chancellor he's fighting for, despite the fact journalists have been briefed for the past two years he wants to be Prime Minister. If he wanted to be seen as fiscally responsible, economically prescient and capable of steering HMS Britannia on the stormy seas of international financial shockwaves, he'd be demanding a review into the £4.3 billion lost to Covid loan fraud, the £9 billion written off on wasted PPE and the government errors which might have cost us a further £22 billion during the pandemic support schemes he set up. Instead, he's demanding a review into who leaked his wife's tax status to the press – perhaps because that's been more financially damaging to his family than any public spending cock-ups, cost-of-living increases or national insurance hikes, which have set back most other families an average of £2,000 a year. He's not even a very good Chancellor. Aside from the billions he simply lost, Britain suffered the worst recession in a century and is now experiencing the weakest post-pandemic growth of any major economy. It's being praised as back to what it was before covid But before COVID, our economy was stagnant. If the Tories are crowing about those dizzy heights, they all need pills. If a man this clever and rich really wanted to be Chancellor, he'd make more effort to be good at it. Perhaps he's trying hard to keep his hopes of being PM alive. But it's hard to know how he ever thought he'd get the promotion, with personal tax affairs made of mist and a love for his country so great he told the American government he'd rather live in Santa Monica forever. He'd never make it to number 10, in the same way he'd never fill up his own car. Both require some part of the human concern to be in contact with reality, whereas Rishi seems to be in orbit somewhere the other side of Saturn. Which means the career that's left to him is being Mr Akshata Murthy, 
a woman whose dividends earn her £2,000 every 10 minutes, and the ability to survive every kind of economic crisis except worldwide communism. It's been reported this weekend that as the scandal grew, Rishi's first position was to defend her at all costs. Then to denounce smears, misleadingly claim they both loved Britain very much, and then, according to witnesses, to spend half his day running up and down stairs in number 11 Downing Street to speak to her privately. Finally, removal vans were called, and she's moved out of Downing Street for the highly whiffy reason of being near their daughter's school for the few weeks she has left there. Now, does all that sound like a caring husband and an accidentally non-dom wife? Or like a man whose wife is going thermonuclear upstairs and demanding to know what exactly is the point of her having to put up with this expensive scrutiny for a job that pays him the lowest salary he's ever had? Politicians who say one thing and do another are ten a penny. But government ministers who do national tax deals with the US on our behalf, without declaring a conflict of interest by dint of being a US taxpayer themselves, are much rarer. And chancellors who raise taxes for us 15 times while their wives keep their income out of reach of the Treasury are about to go extinct. Because an ethics review won't make the story go away. And the White House and Joe Biden now being asked whether anyone knew he was breaking rules by working for a foreign government while holding a green card is about to be escalated into a diplomatic incident. Throw in the fact that the Tories are facing a drubbing on multiple fronts in the local elections and you'll realise that a cabinet reshuffle is on the way and he'll have to be demoted. And a man so egotistical and tin-eared that he took his constituents for granted, let criminals steal our money and told us that free school meals and an extra £20 a week were a bit too expensive, isn't going to let himself be sacked for his own moral failures. The only thing Rishi has done well is to marry up. And that not only earns him the most, but comes with zero public scrutiny and anonymous international tax shelters. Do you think he'll figure that out on his own, or will his wife need to point it out for him? This is the Fleet Street Fox audio column to mark Easter on April the 15th, 2022. Good Friday. Jesus Christ, it's Easter. And it's a lot dirtier than you think. My mum loves Easter. She's not religious. She's just fanatically devoted to hot cross buns. In her freezer at this very moment are four dozen of the sticky, sweet, doughy things filled with icky, shriveled grapes. That's eight packets. And she's the only one in the family who eats them. She makes a point of having roast lamb and nagging me to go home because it's Easter. If I point out it's just a long weekend and none of us are religious, she says, I don't care, it's Easter. My family treat Easter a bit like Robinson Crusoe chiselling off the days on his post buried in the ground. The tomato seeds have to be planted by then. The compost heap must be turned. It's time to mow the grass. And if the magnolia hasn't opened by Easter Sunday, then it's the end of days. And it's not just my end of the gene pool. The whole country's been left reeling by a cold snap as though snow in March is a sign the white witch is coming. It has happened before, you know. Worry when it snows in June and no earlier. But that's because, however much we like to dress it up and pretend we're civilised and have smartphones, humans are still cavemen on the inside. We celebrate at springtime because it's the time that the world turns. From dark nights to warm days, from cold ground to bright daffodils. It's when the sap rises and nature's heartbeat thumps for the one and only time in a year. Thoughts turn to fecund things like babies and boobies and the rising of dough, a 
and my dad walks around shouting, mint sauce, at whole fields of sheep. When the sun does finally appear, it sends a batch of whizzy, happy chemicals around our brains in just the way our evolution on the plains of Africa designed us to be happier in the sunshine. There's a reason Greenland has the highest suicide rate in the world, you know, and it's not unrelated to the fact it's colder than Narnia and doesn't have any lions. This time of year is a marker between the seasons. Humans have worshipped it since long before the time of Christ for reasons that have more to do with the spring equinox and the rebirth of the sun than it has anything much to do with babies and virgins. But if you have a good story about a baby and a virgin, this is a good time of year to tell it. People are more in the mood to listen because it taps into our animal instincts. That's why, around the same time as Christians celebrate Easter, the world's Baha'i, Hindus, Buddhists and Sikhs celebrate their new year. Hindus mark the birth of Rama, Zoroastrians celebrate the birth of their prophet, and Jews commemorate the new beginning of Passover. It's that part of the calendar in which any religion that wants to stick around needs to make its mark. In ancient days, at this time of year, the Greeks marked the arrival of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. The Egyptians celebrated Hathor, the goddess, goddess of motherhood. And the Vikings went bonkers for Ostara, goddess of fertility. Ostara, when the Vikings came to England to nick stuff off the newly Christian people, became known as Istra in the local lingo. She was linked in folk custom with rabbits and hares, who traditionally at this time of year were at it like, well, rabbits. The Easter Bunny is about as suitable a symbol for children as Priapic Soap Romeo Ken Barlow. And don't get me started on eggs. Archaeologists have found decorated ostrich eggs in Africa from 60,000 years ago, when our gods consisted of fire and air and not much else. The Zoroastrians mark their new year with painted eggs. The Iranians celebrate Nauru's with eggs. Jews eat eggs at Passover. And the early Christians used to paint theirs red to symbolise the death of Jesus. Chocolate ones were first sold in 1875, a mere 147 years ago. So it doesn't matter if they're halal and there's no need to change their name to avoid offence. Muslims have a difference of opinion about the crucifixion, that's all. They still like Jesus and chocolate. Besides, Jesus was surprisingly pagan. A bit like Ken Barlow, really. Easter is marked because it's when the angel Gabriel, or a bloke who said he was, reportedly groomed and impregnated a barely pubescent virgin called Mary. And it's also when millions of people mark the fact the son she bore as a result went on to die and then disappear, leaving behind only a footprint, some kind words, and a suspiciously accurate-looking shroud. But it's about as original a story as Katie Price. 5,000 years ago, the Mesopotamians worshipped a goddess who was hung naked on a stake and then came back from the underworld. The Egyptian Horus and the ancient Roman Mithras were both supposedly born in apparently impossible circumstances on December the 25th or thereabouts. Mithras from a rock and Horus was conceived after his dad was dismembered. The date we celebrate Easter changes every year for one reason alone, so that it comes after the first full moon following the equinox. How pagan does that sound? Added to which, the date's all over the place in different Christian sects because when they tried to work out the right date 1,700 years ago, their sums were a bit off and because our calendars have changed. True Easter can be a couple of days adrift from when we actually celebrate it. As for hot cross buns, sorry mum, but in olden times we used to bake sweet buns as offerings to the gods. The early Christians failed to put a stop to it, so they did the sensible thing and let the pagan bun baking continue so long as they put a cross on top which is a long-winded way of saying, enjoy your Easter.
Praise your gods, whoever and whatever they are. Eat your eggs, take your shoes off and stand on a freshly mown lawn and feel the sap thump while the trees take their first belated breath of spring. But don't for a moment let anyone kid you that the reason we do it is anything other than because we're animals who need the sunlight and the sex and the chocolate. All three of those things fill our little caveman brains with dopamine, the pleasure hormone. There isn't a lot about nailing someone to a cross that can spread pleasure, but it's kind of amazing humans have found a way to do it. And not just here, not just Christians, but all over the world in religion after religion. It's equally amazing to someone like me who hates shriveled grape products that we've managed to ruin a perfectly nice sticky bun for no good reason at all. On which note, I must be off. It's Easter. If I don't make it home, my ma will crucify me.